All right. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Marathon Author. I'm James S. Aaron, and this is my mostly weekly author diary where I talk about lessons I've learned, mistakes I've made, so that hopefully you don't make them too. And I promise someday we'll do interviews. Someday. <laughs> when my when my toddler decides to uh, cooperate and I don't have to pause the podcast several times while I'm recording. What you're getting here is one step up from a live feed, and I promise I've only done just a little bit of editing. So <laughs> you get that uh, that live feel. So thanks for checking in. Um, I really appreciate everyone who has messaged me, letting me know that they're listening, and I'm glad that I'm back. And it's been, it's been good. I enjoy doing this. It helps me reflect on what I've learned in the past week. And that was something, you know, with the SFF Con uh, interview that we did for the podcast panel, which you can find on YouTube if you search for SFF Con and uh, podcasting panel. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Mark Leslie Lefebvre was kind enough to be on that panel and... I never realized in listening to Stark Reflections, his podcast on, you know, the author industry, the kind of, it's focused, I would say, largely on independent publishing, but he interviews a broad range of folks that the podcast gives him time to reflect on, you know, the industry and what he's learned. And he will do an interview and then pause and take time to to think. And for me, you know, these past really this whole year has just felt like, um, everything has, it feels both the same and like, it's just moving so quickly. And that's probably a function of everything being the same. This is the first time I've worked from home for extended period of time. And also, you know, our toddler is, we're stuck in the house. We can't necessarily go to play areas anymore. Every day has kind of a same feel to it. And it gets difficult to reflect on things. And I was joking with a friend um, a couple days ago that I feel oftentimes like my mind is just kind of flailing as I try and focus on things, you know, like one of those inflatable, you know, crazy arm people that you see at car lots. <laughs> like, I guess they make desk size versions of those things. And I, I probably need one to help remind me to slow down, focus, reflect on what's happening. But the podcast has helped me because I often will have an intention to talk about something like last week, I wanted to talk about resilience and ideas that I've had since, um, writing full time and what that kind of does to my headspace. And also, you know, worrying about finances and just the safety of our family in general, when it comes to me being the sole wage earner, you know, in an industry that is very, uh, up and down from month to month, you know, based on sales and things that I can't control. And when that was done, I kind of felt like, you know, I didn't, I didn't talk about that the way I wanted to talk about it, (laughs) but I spent the rest of the week thinking about it and reflecting on it. And I have some other thoughts to share. And actually this episode, if you saw my, my clickbait title, you know, do you really want to write full time? That's what has been on my mind. So I want to spend some time talking about that and sharing some thoughts I have and things that I think I kind of wish that someone had shared with me even, you know, years ago when, as soon as you write a story and you're happy with it or you finish a book and you're happy with it and you're like, ah, I I did this. I finished, I told a whole story. Then the next thought is like, oh, you should write full time. And it's kind of like, like you have a hobby you enjoy, you know, and somebody immediately looks at that thing you made and they're like, oh, you should sell that on Etsy. Well, maybe, you know, something to think about. So (laughs) that's, um, what I want to talk about this episode, but first we'll go through some, some updates. Um, it's 7 a.m. Actually, I started recording at 7 a.m. And I was up at 5 this morning, which was good. But I kind of laid in bed and just uh, read the internet for 30 minutes and convinced myself to get out of bed. <laughs> but thankfully, I did that. And um, I've got a friend named Tori Element who is a science fiction author, but also uh, a fitness coach. And he's doing a kind of a pilot program during the month of December for authors to, he calls it bite-sized fitness. And I'll put a link in the the show notes for that. And he's doing a pilot this month where you can check into the zoom sessions for free and do the workouts. And it's been really good. Like I am very out of shape and I have aspirations of being in shape as I've talked about, or not even, I think being in shape, but just being healthy and 
that also ties into my thoughts about resilience and worrying about being the sole income source for my family, where if I'm not healthy or if I, you know, hurt myself and I can't work, uh, that weighs on my mind. So anyway, that's why I've been motivated to get up and take part in <laughs> this program he's doing. And if you're interested, I'll, I'll have a note, I'll, a link to his website so you can check it out. But he's doing, uh, you can log in for free or take part for free during the month of December, which is rapidly running out. But I think it'd be something to check in with him on if he's going to extend it or not. But basically he's doing bite-sized fitness, you know, half hour fitness blocks for authors to do. I'm doing the high intensity one, which, you know, parts of it are definitely more than I can do, but other parts are, are okay are fine, but it's a good motivator to get up early, um, get some exercise for 30 minutes and then, settle down and, and start doing some, you know, thinking and, and writing and whatnot in the morning before my daughter wakes up and, and the day begins and I won't be able to get back out to the office until like, you know, nine or nine thirty, depending on how the morning is going. So I've been enjoying that and I'm only two weeks into it, but I hope to, uh, keep making it, um, a habit or make it a habit since it is not a habit yet. <laughs> I'll keep you posted on how that goes, but it feels good to be up early and doing some work. So updates from last week. I, you know, I think I said this last week that I feel like I've rounded the bend on fire upon the worlds with Mal Cooper, but I do feel like I, I have, there have been some things that have gotten in the way. It feels like every day as well, just between um, my daughter and, and other stuff, but I've managed to, you know, grind out a good number of words and I'm now over 70,000 words in that project. So we're, we're pretty much into the, what should be the denouement on the, uh, you know, the, the, the slowing action, the ending of the story. And I feel like I'm still kind of in the major, um, like a major, I am in a major battle that is finishing out the story. And then I'll have the closing action from that, but everything is kind of rolling downhill. And so that is exciting because I've been, I've been ready to be here for a long time. Like we've been working on this book for a long time and, it's just, I don't know why this one has weighed so much on my mind. I don't know if it's been this year. It's been where the characters are, um, you know, in general, that just feels like this has been harder to write than I wanted it to be. And I really hope that the last two books in the series, like, I don't think they'll be this way. I feel like I've learned a lot from how this book has been written that I'll be able to go into, um, the next ones with a better, a better plan. And, part of that leads into a project that I've, I've been working on just kind of in the background. And it's basically a, I haven't quite decided on a title yet, either the science fiction novel outline or science fiction novel planning book, but I've been putting together a template that is based on the way I set up, you know, when I'm going into a novel and it, it comes out of actually, um, Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon's book, Three Story Method, which is a great book you should check out on Amazon, but they also have a workbook that goes along with it. And the workbook is about 200 pages. Um, I think for, it's $4.99 currently for the print edition, which they had said was the least expensive they could make it. And I haven't been into the KDP dashboard to see if I can replicate that price point, but I, I like the idea of basically using Amazon as a printing service for a notebook that I would use to lay out a novel. <laughs> and I've been doing a lot of handwriting lately. I've found that to be really valuable for just thinking and kind of slowing down my thinking about things. And so essentially I've been putting together a template that I would use to plan a book. And my goal is to get that into uh, a document that I can get uploaded and that I could basically just be able to download it from Amazon or, you know, buy it from Amazon and use it, but also make it available to other folks. And I've got the science fiction one pretty much done. I'm just tweaking the formatting right now. Like word is really bugging me with the way it, <laughs> it seems to change formatting between different views and things like that. And I really want to have lines on, um, on the page. Uh, for me, it's really helpful to have like it helps my handwriting if I'm going to have lines in the page, which if I was using something like InDesign, that would be pretty easy. But using the, the KDP, you know, word template they have for the notebook size, which is like eight and a half by 11 or, you know, very close to, 
it's just a headache. And I realized I was wasting some hours on that, that I could have been using more productively in other places. But this is something I, I hope to get up shortly, actually, by the end of the month, because I want to use it on my next projects that are coming up. But really what it does is kind of walk you through the whole project, the whole process of managing the project from conception to looking at, say, different Amazon categories that you might want to target, studying some things about those categories, starting with the blurbs, the character, the plot, the tropes, and then getting into the characters, how the characters interact, what are some hooks that you could use to build out a series, you know, how it might be fitting into a series, and then getting into the, you know, for an 80,000 word book, using the Larry Brooks method that has worked really well for me, which is basically a five act story structure of, you know, getting really granular on a page per chapter, uh, or well, basically every thousand words is kind of how I do it, which tends to be about two to three scenes, you know, a thousand words to 1500 words, somewhere in there. And then, you know, all the way through the story. And when I've done that and mapped things all the way out, the book, the story comes really easy to me. It's when I don't have that, that I kind of struggle and don't know what to write. And even if I change it and adjust things along the way, having that kind of roadmap has been really valuable. So when I haven't been working on Fire Upon the Worlds, I am working on that to get it done. And I want to tweak it once I have this this one done, and I'll do one for fantasy and also lit RPG and, uh, and get those up on Amazon. So I envision something that would be kind of iterative. So this would be the first version and then you know, potentially if it resonates with folks and I get feedback and things like that, I can make changes. And really the goal would be to keep the price as low as possible on that. So it's just something that for each, each book I use, I can just, you know, buy it and fill it out and, you know, rock on from there. And I'll put it, I, I've been thinking about, you know, it'd probably be in KDP as well. Cause I think it'd be valuable just to read it. If you, you know, you don't need, you wouldn't need to buy the workbook. Um, you can just take a look at how I've laid these things out. And I think for new writers, especially like if, if you're not thinking about where you want to go at the end, that's one of the reasons that it can just be hard to get started and also not realize, not being aware of how you need to position a book for better success on a market like Amazon, or it could be, you know, tailored for Kobo or Barnes and Noble or, or something like that just knowing where you want to go. Like if you don't know that, you know, space Marine or military science fiction is a thing or, you know, galactic, um, empire is a thing on Amazon, then you don't know how to fit the book. And every time an author says like, well, I don't know, it's a lot of different genres. You know, I think we all know at this point that that just means they're going to have a really hard time selling that book. Not that it's impossible, but that, you know, readers want different, but the same. Right. And so, Really, this is to help focus my thoughts and my process, but I hope it could be helpful to, to other, you know, writers as well. And if I could have handed something to myself, you know, four years ago, I think that's kind of what I'm, what I'm aiming at here, but mostly useful to me. This <laughs> is when I saw how inexpensive that printed workbook was, I was like, dang, why can't I do that? Um, so I'll keep you posted on how, on how that goes. Um, other updates, you know, if you're into gaming at all, you probably know that the game Cyberpunk 2077 launched, and I had pre-ordered that game because I loved The Witcher 3 and CD Projekt Red, the studio that put out Witcher 3, um, has seemed like, you know, they were good. <laughs> I hard, I don't ever pre-order games. You know, I got a discount, and normally I'll wait to play a game, you know, like even two years or so until it's like 20 bucks is my sweet spot for for a game. And The Witcher 3 is probably one of the best games I've ever played. And so Cyberpunk has been, you know, if you're aware of this controversy around it, like there're just a lot of problems with the game, not for me personally, like I'm running it on a PC with a an okay video card, so there have been a lot of quirks and things that are kind of irritating about it where I think it was marketed. It's probably a good lesson for writers to look at how a thing was marketed and what kind of expectations were created around it based on the marketing versus what people got. And a lot of times, you know, if you read your reviews, you'll see where there's a disconnect between what you're promising people, either with your blurb or your cover or, you know, your first chapter, and then what they expected to get when they read the book and what they actually got. 
Um, and so cyberpunk is a good exercise in being in seeing that. <laughs> and I don't know what I was expecting. I mean, I think I was expecting Witcher three in a cyberpunk setting and that's pretty much what it is. I think, I think pe- people were wanting it to be, you know, this huge revolution in RPG, you know, role play, role playing game gaming. And that's not quite what it is. Like maybe it could be once they make some tweaks. And that's another thing as, you know, as writers, like, if, I think if you sell a game as a an alpha product or a bait, you know like a playtest product, people are willing to accept changes as they go along. This was not sold that way, but now the studio is basically in a situation where they're going to need to make a bunch of updates to this game, and everybody that bought the game is basically in a big playtest to to help fix the issues with the game. And so, kind of the way I came to Witcher Three, like I think that game had been out you know two years before I eventually picked it up. Uh, on sale, Witcher three will probably be an amazing game two years from now, but it's just going to take a little time to get there. <laughs> and, and so they, but they can iterate, they can make changes and you could do the same thing with a book on Amazon. You know, unfortunately you can't make reviews go away once they're there, but you can overwhelm bad reviews if you do get some on a book. So, but that's, that's been something I've been thinking about as I play this game. It's like what promises were made versus what they delivered and how I think that has led to a lot of the backlash about the game because the studio had just a ton of goodwill with their audience and they've kind of squandered it. You know, I think now they're in a place where they, the story they need to tell is how they fixed this problem. And if you look at a game like no man's sky, which was completely terrible at launch and they set up a lot of expectations that the game absolutely did not fulfill, but then they turned it around and now people love that game and it has a really thriving community that has continued on. I don't play no man's sky. Um, but you know, everything I read about it says that, you know, people like it for me, the biggest deal is like, okay, I'm thinking about this stuff. And I, I think that cyberpunk is a beautifully looking game. Like I think as a person who is trying to envision, an alternate timeline future. Like that's one thing to realize about this game as well is, is not our future. It's an alternate timeline future where, you know, it's a dystopian corporate corporatocracy where there are, have been multiple, you know, wars and, and things like that, that we have not had. Like the USSR still exists in this game world. Um, but it's beautiful to look at. And there's a lot of really interesting texture in the game with the characters and, and the design details and how everything fits together. I think they've done an excellent job of making a believable and realistic world that as a writer, it gives you a lot of just stuff to work with. You know, when you look at the things in this game, like it's unfortunate that a lot of it does become a little bit repetitive. And that's, I think just a function of it being a game, but if you're a writer or a storyteller who's playing this game and thinking about these details, I think that can be really helpful. And that's kind of what is going on in my mind when I'm wandering around this world that, you know, the, the studio has created. Like it's, it's a very realistic and living world. And in a way that makes certain flaws in the game a little more apparent, but it also helps me think through those things. Like if I'm, what details stand out? What, what is it about this sort of reality they've created that makes it more real and what breaks that immersion? And yeah, there's problems in the game, but I'm looking more at setting and what the characters do and the motivations for the characters in the game and, and things like that. So I I don't think it's going to create this huge swell of, you know, cyberpunk um, demand that there was something about that I think before the game came out, this sort of uh, people want it to be a thing that it's not. And that creates like, oh, there's going to be all this cool cyberpunk content coming out. And I, I like cyberpunk, but it's also making it more, more making me more aware that cyberpunk is a thing, an idea from the 80s that almost feels alternate timeline at this point. Because <laughs> you could argue in a lot of ways that we're living in a dystopian <laughs> cyberpunk future and it's not escapist for people to to read about that and it's also not there are plenty of things playing out in our society that are showing that kind of make cyberpunk a little bit naive naive i don't know this is probably a whole other subject to get into but i remember a year ago thinking like i want to write a ghost in the shell story you know i want to write a blade runner story 
And I'm not sure that the demand is going to be there. I think it's always going to be a niche thing. And I was joking with somebody about steampunk and how, you know, writers love to write steampunk stories, but nobody likes to read them. (laughs) And I think that cyberpunk might be a bit the same way. Like it's, it's a thing in, in anime and, you know, everybody loves, um, Akira and Ghost in the Shell and these sort of iconic worlds that were created, but the audience just isn't the readers, the reader reading audience is not necessarily there. I could be totally wrong, but that's a kind of a feeling I'm, I'm having about this. Um, I don't know. I'll be curious to see how that plays out. So because I don't have a lot of time, I've been playing with a timer in one hour blocks. And this helps me kind of reinforce time blocking in my day, but also points out some interesting things about the the playing loop in the game. You start to realize how, you know, you're doing a mission or something and that lasts for about 20 minutes. And then you get into like this sort of restocking phase where you're looting stuff. And then it takes you up to like over an hour. Like it's the game is really good at just pulling you back into a story so that you want to keep going over your hour time limit, (laughs) which is also a good exercise for my willpower when it comes to something like this. So it's been fun. I, I think that if you're on the fence about this game and you don't have a lot of time, I would probably wait. You know, there's plenty of gameplay videos you can watch on YouTube if you want to get a sense of what it looks like and what the just the visuals look like because that's one of the really strong things about this game and I think there's going to be a lot of cultural cues coming out of cyberpunk when people think about what cyberpunk is you know a lot of folks when you say cyberpunk there's kind of the um the William Gibson like the the reading side of it the Bruce Sterling's Pat Cadigan Neil Stevenson you know those are the touchstones on the reading side. I think I always think of ghost in the shell, Akira, um, just a lot of different anime that creates those visual cues, not as many games. And I think cyberpunk is going to, it will be a new trope and kind of touchstone for what readers think of when they think of cyberpunk going forward. So it's definitely a good idea. I think for writers to check out this game, if even just to, Watch it on YouTube, see what it looks like, see what expectations readers are going to have when they come to this genre in the future and how those things might might shift. I think the folks that made this game are definitely, I mean, there are some very direct use of tropes in the game, but also some shifts. And it combines some things too, which I think is interesting. There's aspects of the game that I'm just getting into that are very reminiscent of like Fallout, you know, kind of a, a Mad Max post-apocalyptic um, set up. And then the, the corporate side, which I have not gotten into yet, but I've watched some videos, looks very much like the ultra slick sort of Japanese inspired, you know, ghost in the shell kind of things. So they're playing on all those tropes and pushing them forward in some kind of different ways. So that will be interesting. Um, but like I said, time blocking is my, my ongoing uh, nemesis. And <laughs> I've been doing my best with the game and then, you know, get my head out of the game and get into some writing and other projects like that has been what I've been working on this last week. My daily word counts, like I said, have been kind of low, but steady. I'm averaging about 2000 words a day and I'm feeling good about that. Um, The other thing that's been using up a lot of my time is I think I mentioned in the last episode that I picked up a on-call job with FedEx as what they call a casual courier. And I was thinking this would be sort of like driving around, you know, just on-call jobs when you go in and they need you, you drive around and make deliveries in a car or something. But it's starting to look like courier is their, you know, what UPS would call a driver. (laughs) So um, I've been doing training for the past two days. And, you know, like, like all jobs, I think you have to have good boundaries because this is obviously a busy time of year for them. And they were kind of up front when I applied for the job it said no more than 24 hours a week, which is ideal for me. But then you get in there and um, they're like, yeah, we're not really doing that right now. So you could work as much as you want to work. And I got to, um, I want to get through the training piece of it. And then my goal is to have kind of an, just an established schedule. And I think they should be able to accommodate that. Now you might hear this and like, James, what, what are you doing? You're, you know, you're a writer. Why would you be taking a job doing this. And that kind of gets into the subject of what I want to talk about 
this time around. And that is my, my clickbaity title of, do you really want to be a full-time writer? And as we get to the end of this year, and I think about lessons that I've learned and just the changes that have taken place in, in my life, I mean, in everyone's life, it's, it really pushes me to think about just what is important to me and then what helps enable those values. And, and if it, if something is really a value, like how easily do you kind of let it go if something else gets in the way? And, you know, for me, it's like right now, my family is obviously the most important thing in my life. I'm not gonna, I have no, I have no delusions about my name will be remembered, you know, even 50 years from now for something that I write, like that would be amazing. That has not, I've not reached that point yet in my career, but you know, just before I talked about getting into this podcast, I was looking at a list of, you know, on Goodreads, the top, um, 180 cyberpunk books. Cause I just wanted to refresh my memory on a couple of writers I was thinking of. And there were only probably five writers in that list that I even knew their names. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't have delusions about that. And I, and I don't feel bad about that. Like we live in a time where one of the reasons there is so much opportunity to be a writer or to be a content creator is because so many people are doing it and there are so many opportunities to reach specific audiences. So there may be some specific people that grow to love my work. And I really hope I you know, I want that to be the case. Maybe they're out there right now. Um, but I'm not letting go of the fact that my family is very important to me. <laughs> And, and also that this time with my family will not last forever. You know, I, my daughter is two and a half now and every day she changes and I'm going to turn around and she'll be, you know, four years old, five years old and going off to, you know, pre-kindergarten and kindergarten. And then I won't be seeing her. Um, and that's going to happen a lot faster than I think it will, you know, just like my 18 year old, um, things change so quickly. And when I look back, like it's not something I really internalized very well, but I really feel at this point in my life that there are phases in life and life is moving a lot faster than I want it to. And I got to really pay attention to the things that are important. And so family is important to me, but I'm also very lucky to have been able to kind of make some changes in my life so that I can focus on the things that I enjoy doing, which is writing. But I've also learned that writing is hard. <laughs> writing, writing a book, you know, writing um, book length projects on a steady schedule might be the hardest work I have ever done. I read a quote from Gene Wolfe recently that really resonated with me. And he said, you don't learn how to write books. You learn how to write the current book. Um, and then you have to relearn it when the, when the next one comes along. <laughs> and... If, you know, writing a book as like I've said sometimes is like, you know, feel like one of those prisoners in the Yuma territorial prison that had to dig their own cell out of the granite, you know, that's what it feels like to me sometimes. And then you just got to turn around and do that again. And then not only do you have to do that again, but if you're an indie writer or you're working with, you know, even if you're not an indie writer, you're working with a small press that doesn't have a lot of uh, marketing budget, you're expected to do your own marketing, uh, potentially your own advertising, um, you know, that, that is the career of an author today. You could have multiple projects. So you're working with a small press like I'm doing, and then you're also working on your own independent projects and those all require different skill sets. And, you know, if I've learned anything in my life at this point, like it's really easy to have a little knowledge on certain things. And I think as a writer that can be seductive because you go down, you love to go down rabbit holes on things, at least I do. And then you become like a 20% expert on some subject, but 20% is, en is not enough to be successful at certain things like marketing or advertising or, you know, things of that nature, fostering a community, you know, mastering new social media. These are all skills and writing a, you know, writing, creating characters, creating plots. These are hard enough skills on their own, <laughs> but now we're going to add all these other things into it. Not to say that you can't do it and not to say that you can't learn it, but I think you just need to uh, really understand that those things can be hard to do. And even if you do them well and do them consistently, you still might not be as successful as you need to be. And so that's just something I've been thinking a lot about, especially when you have the pressure of, you know, 
I'm the sole earner in the family right now. And that's a choice that we've, we've made. Um, my, my wife is looking at going back to work, um, here at some point, probably in the next year. And our income is sustainable. Um, the other thing I've spent a lot of time on, like going back to even 2013, I don't know that I've talked on the podcast a lot about, but I, I had a former business. Um, I started a craft distillery and I had to leave that business because it wasn't making money. Unfortunately, my partner didn't really internalize that lesson and he went on to rack up a lot more debt. Um, I left the business with about $50,000 in debt and I finally paid all that off in about, about 2019, I want to say is when the last payment was made. And I did talk about in the podcast how I got hit with like a final debt from the business that was a you know legal thing that hadn't gotten squared away. And that was like a $7,000 bill that just appeared. And so I've got that paid off as well. And so we went into 2020 with pretty much the only debt that we had was our house. And so that, that work made it possible to kind of have the life we have now. And so I think that, um, I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit here, but if you think about the first thing is if you think about, you want to write full time, like really, I would say, dig into what it is you enjoy about writing. And if you enjoy, because the other thing about writing full time is you have to be really aware of the fact that you need to make money off that writing, right? Because if it's your source of income, then you could find yourself becoming locked into or, or moving toward or feeling like you need to write the work that you know is going to be commercially viable. And, and even if you strike gold once and then, you know, you keep kind of mining that vein, um, there's a little bit of fear that could set in that that's going to run out at any time or the audience could shift, or you could be typecast to be that sort of writer. And, or like the case that I'm in now where I've, you know, had some pretty successful co-writing opportunities. My success is pretty much tied to those other writers. And I have not done as good a job as I, I should have on establishing my own, my own name. So I've got a series coming out, but I'm actually not expecting that series to make a whole lot of money. Um, <laughs> Don't tell the publisher that, but that's, you know, that's just the reality of things. Like I think that project, I'm really hoping just to kind of establish my own name, um, and my own series. And then I want to do some more things within that to kind of broaden the, uh, the approach of that series, but it's still, it's kind of typecasting me in space opera. Like if I wanted to try and write a thriller or a mystery, um, it's pretty difficult to have the time to do that. If you're only bringing in a certain amount of income, and you need to keep writing those other kinds of work, you know, those other in those genres or, or things like that. Um, that can be tough. And one of the things, you know, when I first, like I talk with a lot of writers, I've been, you know, since I first kind of got back into writing in 2013, one of the lessons that um, I figured out pretty quickly, because I've, I've been lucky to, to work with a lot of writers that I, you know, I think are well established in the industry, like from from the outside, they're award winners, they write amazing work, but there's almost like this separation between the work and the quality of the work and how much money it makes. I shouldn't say there, it's like there's a separation. There is a separation. <laughs> there's the, the, that kind of work and that type of publishing, um, it just doesn't make a lot of money. And so it started to, you know, when you read between the lines on some stories people tell or when they talk about their lives or things like that, it becomes pretty obvious that they had a part-time job the whole time, or they had a spouse that was the, the most, the major wage earner, or that spouse had a job that provided health insurance. And it becomes um, pretty obvious that it's very difficult to make, it's very difficult to make a full-time living um, doing this kind of work. Not to say that you're not working because um, I think it can feel like you're just spinning your wheels. And if you're not getting the results that you need to get, like you, you need health insurance. I'm sorry. Um, and health insurance, health insurance is expensive. That's been a big lesson for me <laughs> this last year. And we didn't even have any major medical things. We just had what I would consider, you know, sort of ongoing care. Um, fortunately no hospitalizations or anything like that. And we still spent about $14,000 on health insurance this year, which got us to the, you know, our family's deductible cap with the plan that we had. Um, and I don't think that we had anything, you know, we're not like different in that sense. Like if you became self-employed, you've got a family of, you know, three or, or four and you go on the marketplace, that's pretty much what it's going to cost you, you know, depending on what your income level is. And 
that's the only thing with self-employment is you do sort of have a much lower income than you would have had working for, you know, an employer, but you know, your lifestyle doesn't change that much. Um, but the health insurance is just, you start to see how those things are subsidized by an employer, which I think is easy to forget about when, um, you're working for an employer. So, but as I've talked to other writers, those things just become more apparent. And, and I think if you, if you have this idea in your mind that you're going to write full time, that's definitely something to think about because as I've learned, I think it can be really difficult to be really creative if there's kind of a profit motive involved. And so something to think about. So in general, you know, when I think about the, just the safety of our family, right? Like the fact that we were able to, to buy the house, like their thing, you know, paying off the debt, like having, um, both of us having the freedom to kind of take, to earn money as we need to, like those give us options and kind of make the family safer. And that's, I don't know, you know, I was, former job was an emergency manager. So it's just stuff that I think about. But if you, you know, if you, depending on how many income sources you have in your family, if one was to go away or be reduced, like, are you going to be okay? So, so that's just stuff I've, that's been weighing on my mind. And I think when you, if you find yourself in a situation where you are writing full time, which is awesome, um, but also be aware that there's, could be some extra stress there. And depending on how you feel about that stress, it can be difficult to give yourself creative freedom or continue producing work. Like, you know, some people, and I've just met writers that can just sit down and they just belt it out. And I've just have had a hard time with that. There have been times, like I've said, where I had the whole project figured out and it does, it comes very quickly to me. But when I don't, it becomes hard. And then other stuff gets in the way that has to be done as well. And all of a sudden three days went by and you haven't produced as much work as you wanted. And now you feel like you're, you know, failing at everything that goes into being in this, this sort of creative entrepreneur. Right. <laughs> so, so when, when I think about other things I can do, like, like how much work actually goes into when I know I'm what I want to write, you know, that's maybe only three hours of work a day, um, to get a good amount of writing done. There's still time in the day to earn some extra income, but also create options. Right. So, another big lesson has been as I kind of was out there looking for other kinds of jobs, it's like, even with the experience I have, um, it can be hard to find a job. And that's also, you know, they say the the best time to look for a job is when you already have a job. Well, if you are putting on your resume that, you know, the last year was self-employment, um, or I, I think people sometimes look at that and some might understand it and think it's fine. Others might, that doesn't appeal to them. And it's really, it was a big lesson to me when I didn't get callbacks that I expected to get back. And that's not unique. I know plenty of people go through that and are going through that right now. But if you're thinking about making, you know, going full-time as a writer, I would also think about other ways that you could potentially make income. And, you know, it's kind of a given that if you're going to write or produce like say novels or nonfiction products. You know, I know Joanne Penn talks about this all the time, like all the different ways that you could potentially monetize the same thing to create different income streams out of that one thing. You know, if you're a fiction writer, then that tends to be, you know, the different ways you could market a book, you know, doing the novels, doing a series, then doing a box set, um, the audio, that kind of thing. But I would also just think about other ways you could potentially earn money that are either related to that skill set. Um, but what I'll also say is that one of the reasons, again, why, you know, why a, a job with somebody like FedEx, I don't have to think about it. Um, I go there, I move boxes and then I come home and I get paid okay for it. <laughs> and that's kind of what I wanted. Um, I've just, I've, the other thing I've kind of learned in this past year is that I need input and, you know, I talked about that in the last episode, I think a little bit, but I, I'm more of an extrovert than I thought that I was. I like to be around people. I like to learn new systems. Um, all these things are, I kind of need that coming into my mind and being stuck in the house or even just doing that, those sort of things like searches online and stuff like that. Um, it just was not quite as good for me. And so, even while I'm doing something else, I'm still thinking about writing. 
And so, you know, maybe this job won't work out. I don't know. But ideally, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for. So whether it's driving a truck or being a barista at Starbucks or whatever, it was just something that was, you know, close, not going to cost me a lot of commuting time, not going to cost me money to go do it. And I could just go do a thing for, you know, five hours a day or whatever, three days a week and just bring in that extra money. But then there's also other things that come along with that as far as just kind of networking with people. Um, Right now is not a great time to interact with the public, but I have so many great stories (laughs) in my mind that have come from interacting with the public and just the weird serendipitous stuff that comes up when you, you know, talk to people on a daily basis. That was something that I kind of got, I had gotten away from in working from home. Um, so I bring all this up just because it's what I've, I've been going through. I mean, I think there are, if you are in a position where you do want to write full time or you have, and you already have family commitments, um, I would think about how you can transition from, from the position you're in now to making writing the focus of your career. And that's probably where I would apply some nuance to this. Like, yes, you're still a full-time writer, but you're bringing in supplementary income from somewhere else. And you don't have to feel bad about saying I'm a writer and I'm here because I want to make some extra money, you know? And well, why would you want to do that? Aren't you Stephen King? Well, no, it's a (laughs) writing or, you know, selling digital products is you can have some great months and you can have some bad months. And so finding a way just to sort of smooth out the income while also getting you out of the house, I think is, is a good way to look at things. I also really like the idea of having some freedom to do different stuff. Like I've still got an application out there to be a park ranger for the Bureau of Land Management. And (laughs) we'll see what happens with that this summer. I mean, um, I like the idea of being able to do different things and have different experiences there. Um, so, so yeah, that's how I would take a look at is what can you do? Like maybe if you do want to write full time and you are a person that if you had eight hours a day, you could kick out, you know, 10,000 words a day. Um, that's awesome. And I don't want to discourage you from doing that. I think just prove to yourself that you can, you can do it, but also acknowledge that it, it could change because at least for me mentally, like writing was always an escape. It was a thing I did for fun. I, there's joy in creating stories and characters and seeing where they go. And then when you find that you don't like, that's all you're doing, um, that release can become sort of its own block, if that makes sense. So I would dig into that and think about it. Um, also think about the consistency with it, with which you write. And if, if you're a person that kicks, you know, is currently writing, say a book a year, 80,000 words a year, um, really try and do that in say six months and then back that up to three months while keeping your regular job. And for me, at least it wasn't, I found that when I was more systematic about writing and treated it like a job, then the writing became much more consistent. But I've just learned over this last, you know, this last year that I think having that other job or having a main job made the writing, you know, more fun. (laughs) So so I hope I'm making sense with this. Um, even as I'm, as I'm talking it out, I feel like it's the kind of thing, you know, as I write, I'll erase and rewrite a sentence several times and speaking is uh, a different way of doing that. But it feels like it's been one of the big lessons of this year is that, um, while I am very happy to be able to call myself a full-time writer, I have been looking at these different ways that I can sort of supplement experiences in my life, supplement income, create opportunity And it's hard just to create opportunity out of nothing, you know, so still having networks with people looking at different industries, um, having the freedom. Here's, here's one thing too, you know, I had, I had worked my way up in security management, um, emergency management where I was before to a certain point that I was making a pretty good income. And if I wanted to to try something new, um, I couldn't do that. I couldn't afford it. Uh, because we still had a lot of extra bills to pay based on the lifestyle that we had then and things that we were still paying off. Now I'm in a place where if I want to take a part-time job that pays minimum wage, like I still got to value my time. Like it's not really worthwhile to me to take a job minimum wage. Um, but for the, just the time I spend, I'd rather have that with my family. But if, if the wage is good enough 
and I can do something that creates opportunity down the road when we might need it. I mean, who knows if Amazon's going to explode tomorrow? Um, I think that's a good thing to look at and something to think about. And I'll just say that when I look out at the writers that I have, I know like very successful writers, um, very few of them are actually purely full time, <laughs> which maybe I should have led with that statement. Um, I've been fortunate to know some that are, that are killing it. In fact, I can't compare myself to their, you know, I can't compare myself to Mal Cooper's output. She just, she kills it. She kills it every day, but she has also created some systems I would say to help push herself to make sure that gets done. Um, but then other writers who have branched into publishing at this point or marketing. And so I would almost say that they are not like, yes, they write full time or their lives are focused on writing, but they have added a lot of other business aspect, you know, aspects to their business. So those become, it kind of changes the way things are. And some people like that. Um, you know, some people you discover that they never actually liked writing that much. <laughs> they just wanted to write a book to create a product they could sell. And now they're really good marketers. Um, so there's a lot of nuance there. And I think that if you have, if you have this goal, really dig into it and think about what it is that you would enjoy about it. And then really look at what, you know, if you're looking up to certain writers, um, that seem to be just killing it and doing well, uh, you know, are they really happy with where they are right now? Like, would they like to do something different? Um, do they feel they have the freedom to do that? Is freedom one of your, you know, your values? Like if, are you, are you better with making less money on a a longer term basis, but you're not necessarily going to be, you know, have a huge audience, but you bring in, you know, enough every month but you get to do the things you want to do. And if you want to go travel or if you want to try a new thing, you have the freedom to do that versus someone who has a really rabid fan base that wants a book, you know, every month, if you'll give it to them and they'll snap it up and you'll make a lot of money, but you're kind of stuck on that treadmill, you know, feeding that beast. Right. (laughs) So things to think about. And I'm not going to say that I have the answers. This is just stuff that at this point in my life I'm thinking about. I feel incredibly fortunate that I get to spend the time that I do with my family, even though we're, you know, we're all locked in the house right now (laughs) because it's not something that I was able to do with my oldest. I was out, you know, working all the time, but I had a much different idea about money as well and savings and, and things like that. So a lot of those things have changed, whereas my focus now is you know, having the savings, having the sort of, uh, safety net there so that we, I can make decisions that benefit my family. If I needed to not work for a while, I can, but it took a little while to save up that money and get everything, you know, get the bills paid down and whatnot to make that happen. To make a safe place for writing, I think is a good way to look at it. So if you wanted to be a full-time writer, what is going to be, create a safe mental place, you know, and financial place and everything for you to do that. You know, if your spouse has, has a great job, you have health insurance and you establish what that number is that you need to bring in a month, um, you know, you do that by talking to each other, then it can be very doable. Um, I think the challenge is just if you're, you know, like a single, um, the single income source like I am, but that's not going to be that way forever. So, so yeah, I hope I have not discouraged you. I've just given you some things to think about. And if you're looking ahead, like you make a goal of five years from now, I want to be a writer awesome. I think you could absolutely make that happen sooner than you actually think you can. I would first take a look at your finances. Um, I would look at, you know, where, where you can reduce costs, where you can pay down debt. How can you make it like, what is the minimum you need to live on comfortably a month? And if that is say $3,000, depending on where you live, you know, where I live, that's pretty doable. If you live in LA, that's crazy talk. Um, but not to say you can't make more money. So, but what is that number? And then what is your spouse or partner comfortable with, you know, and, and then go from there and then you could, you could make it very possible. So, so that's where I'm at right now. I, it's getting easier for me to tell people I'm a writer. I'm an author. Um, the more time that I do it and this time I applied for a job and my, you know, the first line of my resume was author. Like I had a lot of other stuff in there to make it sound more important than it probably is, but they still pick me up. So we'll, we'll see, you know, <laughs> keep you posted on how that works out. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I hope this has been helpful, a helpful discussion. It's definitely what's on my mind right now. 
if you can hear between the lines that am I beating myself up a little bit about it? Like maybe am I, am I a failure at being a writer because I want to go make some more money? Like, should I just be making more money? I don't think so. Um, especially when I think about being able to have the freedom to pursue the projects I want to do. Maybe I'm in a good place because I'm not locked into some pipeline right now where I need to kick out a certain kind of book every two months in order to pay the mortgage. Like that's not where we are. Um, so, so yeah, we'll see how things change. (laughs) Um, as we're going into the holidays, I hope that, um, I hope everything is, is going well for you. Like we're pretty much still hunkered down at home. There's still, you know, bits of stress just related to the holidays. Um, but it just feels like this year is speeding by and my mind is already in 2021. So I think the next couple of weeks I'll start trying to talk some more about goals I have for 2021. Um, a lot of my friends are talking about their plans. I think there's a general level of excitement for next year and, and how people are going to, I think, produce a lot of great work and everybody's kind of excited to get into the next phase, you know, (laughs) especially as we can hopefully move out of this pandemic. And, um, for me, at least I'm really appreciating and looking forward to being able to spend time with people again, because that's something I've missed a lot. Um, I kind of forgot to mention, I had in my notes that one of the things that I think you can miss out on a lot when you leave a job is the community that you had there. And if you're not used to working alone, which I am not, I'm a person who has always worked as part of a team. And I really enjoy that, you know, from the army to the, the different places I've been just talking to people every day, just seeing people. Um, I miss that. (laughs) And so if I can go do that for, you know, five hours a day, three days a week, and that kind of feeds my soul a little bit. Um, I think that could be a really positive thing, at least for me personally. So that could also be something to think about. If that's not what you want to do, then what are you doing to build those, um, those networks and those friendships? And I will say that the older I get, like I'm not embarrassed or I try not to be weird about, I make calendar appointments with my friends and it's amazing to me how fast like we'll have, I'll have a lunch with some former coworkers or something. And I'll just, I'll say, Hey, I'm going to put this on my calendar. Let's do it again next week, you know, next month. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I do it. I send them the, um, you know, the calendar invite and it seems like it's a month away. And then I blink and it's time to have lunch again. Right. (laughs) And, and what seemed awkward was now it's a good thing we're doing this because if, if I didn't do it, um, two months would go by, three months would go by. And then before you know it, you've kind of lost that friend. And I think it's, it's important to have folks you can talk to, especially, you know, even folks that are not writers, folks that are not necessarily focused on the thing you are, but then also people that are, um, that kind of understand what you're going through. So things to think about. Okay. Well, um, next week I, I'm going to finish this book. I almost use a curse word, but I'm going to finish this book. (laughs) Like I said, I've got about 10,000 more words to go, which you know, if things are really cooking, that's, that's three days work pretty easily. So end of this week, let's make it, make it happen. All right. I hope to be, uh, next time I talk to you, I'll have said that this, uh, the book is done and that I can move on to, to new things. Okay. I hope everything's going okay. Thank you for listening. And, uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Mm-hmm.